Welcome back to Liberty on the Rocks. I'm your host, William Gaston, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Thomas Kilroy. Tom? Yeah, I figured we are going to do things a little bit differently today. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, with me opening it up, opening this up, brought a little Tennessee with me um, here in somewhere, USA. But, um, yeah, all the hair's gone. Yep. Um, and so, you know, we're going to dress it down a little bit. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Actually, um, I'm trying this new thing called sobriety. Huh. Sobriety. I think that's what it's called. Uh, So I'm drinking a little bit of coffee out of my favorite mug. Notice me, senpai. (laughs) Hand etched and whatnot. Indubitably, this, the greatest of uh, drinking vessels... With the exception, of course, of our own uh, whiskey tumblers, don't take any substitute. What are we doing today, man? So today we're going to be talking about the differences between communism and Nazism, our two favorite isms to hate. Hmm. Uh, but we're, I want to dive in a little bit about why it's culturally acceptable to kind of hold up communism as this ideal or so- socialism is this ideal, uh, but Nazism, it's something that you throw around to label your enemies. Uh, you know, so why, why is... Yeah, that's interesting. You know, why is one okay and one isn't, and, you know, how did it become that way? So I want to explore that a little bit. Uh, so before we get there, though, we need to really outline exactly what both of these things are. So socialism, of course... The actual definition, not the more modern interpretation, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, you know, is that industry is nationalized. So the government has partial or whole control over certain industries or all industry across the country. Um, Nationalized industry, uh, to put to put it simply. Okay. And then, of course, Nazism is socialism plus racism. Mm. In a sense. So, of course, the modern interpretation of socialism, like uh, what Alexandria Obama-Cortez likes to throw around, or Bernie Sanders, you know, is this idea that it's basically just a massive welfare state. Uh, Which, I mean, yeah, okay, we can attack that too. We'll address it. It's not a big deal. Yeah. So, and then, of course, Nazism, we're going to get to that a little bit more in depth, but... Essentially, the point that we're going to be making here is that Nazism is the exact same thing as socialism or communism. There's just more of an emphasis placed on race or ethnic identity and all this sort of thing. Hmm. So, but to put it into a modern context, obviously we see uh, every protest or uh, pundit on TV or whatever, you have all of these left-wing uh, people throwing out the term Nazi, Nazi far right wing, extreme right wing. Uh, so it's very dismissive of whatever that person is talking about. Obviously, if they if the shoe fits, you know, if they are what they are being accused of. Sure. Then that's fine. But nine times out of ten, it's hyperbolic, at yeah. least in the modern sense. In but, terms of argument, I'm saying it's fine. If oh, you're of gonna, course. If you're going to put a badge on somebody. If they are an actual Nazi, then 
Yeah, call them, call them what they are. But the problem is that they conflate this term to be whatever they want it to be instead of actually realizing historically and and in the modern context what it actually is or what it actually means. Sure. Uh, and it's just, frankly, it's really irritating because they use this as a club to, as you said, just dismiss whatever opinions that person has because, well, if he's a Nazi, then... You don't have to listen to him. Yeah. You know, so it, it shuts down the conversation before the conversation can even happen, which is just, it's intellectually lazy, but it's also very, it's dangerous, you know, because you're shutting the door on having a, a uh, conversation, an exchange of opinions, an exchange of ideas. So we have to get away from that, first of all, in the that, modern context. That reminds me of, uh, I'm reading through 12 Rules. Uh, for life I'm not all I don't know what part it is whatever part that I'm at currently but um, something that really struck me is along uh, the lines of what you're saying right now is uh, the way that he sees it in in that argument is um, if you are looking at uh, people around you or just knowledge in general and relating it back to yourself and you truly believe that you can't learn anything uh, beyond what you already know, uh, he's saying that is evil or that is like the beginnings of evil uh, because his the whole thing from the beginning to where I am now is just out of order becomes chaos and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Too much of a good thing can go sour. Um, so in that context, he's talking about kind of the same thing that Hyatt talks about in The Fatal Conceit. You know, this idea that, well, I am I know so much or I am so smart that you don't... I get to decide what is best for you because you poor thing, bless your heart, as we say down here. Yeah. You just don't know better, but I do. So well, let me take care of this for you. It is the same. I don't know if, if Hyatt goes into that being... Um, someone who has ill will mm. or motivations for just absolute the travesties and things that we're going to talk about right. about existing and we have before existing communist regimes and and certainly uh, nazism so i don't i don't what is your your take on on how grave the issues are that hayek's talking about well i mean i think he's using that as a as a jumping off point to explain why totalitarian regimes like socialism or communism or Nazism are so easy to latch onto. Like there's a part of the human, the human mind or even the human spirit that says that that's appealing to me. So I think a large portion of that is just pride. You know, the, the idea that, well, I, I am prideful enough. I'm arrogant enough to believe that I am so smart and I am so much smarter than you that I can tell you what to do, and that's morally acceptable. Um, so we see. We that's see that. so interesting because I mean I I'm going to throw out a blanket statement, but it mm. seems like people that vote for authoritarian views they're okay with believing that for their elected official. Yeah, well, and that's that's so weird. That's a that's a cultural turn that. We've been going through. Well, I mean, I think humanity's always been that way. I mean, even when you look at uh, in ancient times, you know, the emperor of 
Persia or Babylon or whatever was seen as God, you know, or in uh, yeah the medieval medieval times there would be uh, he has divine right, you know, the king has divine right. So at least it's, well, that was the it's, whole cause of the the French Revolution, right? Was the divine right of kings and the, overthrowing that entire idea, yeah. and then Rousseau got thrown in there and kind of jacked it all up. But <laughs> anyway, so. The point being that people are always looking to a, a higher power either for direct control over their lives or justifying someone else directly controlling their lives. Uh, they, they want something to hold on to. And so the whole idea of, of the foundation of America was that we're not doing that anymore. So you as an individual have ultimate sovereignty over your own life. Uh, but I think because just the way humans humans are human nature we're leaning towards more authoritarian government again because of the exact same principle behind the divine right of kings or uh believing that you know our, our king or emperor was god mm. um I, there's just something in the human spirit that that makes it, it makes that appealing or makes us want to believe that this isn't something i've ever expressed per se but the way that I see language police and everything that goes along with that group, I think they're the new modern, um, what's the word? In, in, inquisition? Uh, well, there's that, but they're the new legalists. Oh, sure. They're yeah. the new the new version Puritans. of pure, yes. Yeah, well, Gavin, so Gavin McInnes talks about this a Does lot. He? Yes. Okay. So exact same thing. It's the same... It's the same, excuse me, yeah, the same symptoms to the same disease. There's a better way to put that, but, yeah. excuse me, different symptoms to the same disease, I should say. So they want authority. It's just their their driving force is is different or exactly what they what form they want that to take is different. But it's coming from the same place. Yeah. It's like I, I forget who it was, but it was someone at the Daily Wire I was listening uh, downloaded the the podcast and was walking around and was listening to it and it was essentially like how how did this writer at the New York Times put it that Stormy Daniels is a feminist hero? <laughs> yeah, yeah. With she had an affair with Trump one time and wouldn't be quiet about it, mm-hmm. and got paid money to be quiet about it, mm-hmm. and then started to talk again. And then now she's a hero, but it's obviously just because she's opposing Trump. Right. But to then shine a spotlight on some things that conservatives believe, actual Puritan uh, legalistic people, and say, oh, well, that's prudish. Mm. But yet, you know, with the fall of modern comedy, if we want to go back to, man, not even 20 years ago, Mm. uh, the different things that are being said... uh, on a comedic stage, people right. would recoil. And the only reason that they think it's fine now is because they're able to look at that person and then, oh, are they still in our camp from when they recorded that till yes. now? Yes, they are. Well, then, you know, we're still good. All is, they're all still is in forgiven. Our yeah. Don't even bring it up. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy. So I want to get back around to the, the whole Nazi thing. Okay. Sure. So historically, we're talking about the... Uh, National Socialist German Workers Party. Okay, so you got National Socialist 
German workers. You know, uh, this whole idea of organized labor is a very socialist, communist idea. Uh, so make no mistake, these these were national socialists. Uh, of course, the difference being, so let's take the USSR and Nazi Germany, for example. So when Marx wrote uh, the Communist Manifesto and started this whole movement, he saw it as an international workers' revolution. Mm. So, you know, uh, he, he ends the Communist Manifesto with uh, workers of the world unite. Right. So the whole idea was that this wasn't supposed to be contained or focused on one individual country. And I guess by that, what you're saying in that tagline, it does transcend race. Mm -hmm. Uh, Absolutely. And creed. Well, there is no creed. There's There's, the one creed of Marxism. Correct. Okay. So even with the USSR, the idea was that this was a a united – this was a – uniting of the Soviet socialist republics. So think of it kind of like the United States. So it wasn't just uh, Russia gobbling up other countries, although for all intents and purposes it was. But at least the the official uh, standpoint was that, oh yeah, these other countries have joined the revolution, you know, and, and we're all going to form this giant block of communism. But but yeah, they're all they're still they still have national sovereignty. They've just chosen to to join with us, quote unquote. Yeah, it's almost democratically they chose. Sure. So <laughs> but, you know, oh, never mind the Red Army on their border, comrade. Uh, so basically, I'm trying to to point out the difference, emphasize the difference between uh, international socialism or Marxism and national socialism, and. Besides being contained in in uh, a border within a border, the economic policy is exactly the same. Okay, so so it just doesn't play well with others. It basically yes. So instead of saying we're working for the workers of of the world, they're saying we're working for the workers of Germany or uh, whatever. Obviously, Germany is the example here. So well, I had it sprung up somewhere else. Well, I mean, what Mussolini was first, right? He was the so, the blueprint, yeah. I, the ideas, not not so much the execution. Sort of wink, wink. Right. Ah, that that was dark. That's yeah. dark. Um. So yeah. So Mussolini is an interesting character because he started out as a communist or a socialist, and then he was like, none of that's going to work. We can't do this international thing. Let's go national, and that's when he became more of a fascist. So. If Mussolini, if Mussolini had put as much emphasis on race or ethnicity mm-hmm. as Hitler had done, then Mussolini would have been seen as another Hitler instead of kind of the clown of the Axis powers. You know, he, he just couldn't get anything right, the poor guy. So, that, but that's really it. You know, they followed the exact same economic model. So, in fact, a lot of people, something that Hayek points out in The Road to Serfdom he talks about before we were at war with Nazi Germany, a lot of you same people that are crying out for us to, you know, totally wipe Germany off the map and all these other things, mm-hmm. you were praising the building of the Autobahn or, mm-hmm. you know, this this rise uh, of Germany as an economic power in Europe, using socialism as an economic model to do it. You were praising all of the things that they were doing. But now that we're at war with them, you want us to totally destroy them. Oh, Britain, same thing. Well, he was in Britain when he wrote it. Yeah. Yeah, that's who, that's who he's making fun oh, okay. of, who he's mocking in this yeah. case. 
Um, and then, of course, as soon as war was over, they started crying for a lot of the same yeah. policies that Nazi Germany had. So you want to know something funny? Mm. I was watching Cars of the People. It's uh, James May from British Top Gear and now the, the Grand Tour. He has this series, and there's one thing that contributed to the rise of, well, the success, the ultimate success of the Nazi party. Do you know what it is? No. The Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> okay, uh, explain. I'll okay. expand on this. So, I'm just going to tell everyone what it is, because you still need to watch it, it's awesome. But, essentially, um, Adolf decided that he wanted people to have a vehicle. They were still... Mm expensive um you know cars in europe were there wasn't like a streamlined thing that people wanted to be a part of like Mm -hmm. so he kind of started a movement with this thing and uh he decided that it needed to be the shape of a beetle Uh, so he determined the shape which i didn't realize i didn't know that um and it was designed by ferdinand porsche Mm -hmm. um the other famous German automotive maker at the time. They just, the first one that they made was actually, so if you looked at it, oh, it's a VW Beetle. No, it was technically a Porsche. Wow. Which I thought was interesting. So basically what he did was they, when we were growing up, banks would give us these uh, pamphlets, like bifold pieces of paper that had slots in it. You'd put quarters in it. And Mm. after a certain amount of time, you had 10 bucks or whatever, right? So he did that with marks and it was your booklet to help you save to buy a Volkswagen Beetle. Mm. And so people were saving up. There was this uh, retreat center somewhere. Uh, maybe it was probably in Germany. It doesn't matter. It was never used. It was set up and it was like, Oh yeah, you can save your money. You can save for your Beetle and you can drive to this retreat center. Mm. It was all sham. Just like all the buildings on the the southern border of North Korea. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So people save up and, and they put their marks together. They they turn them in, and he projected a certain amount of time mm. um, to where everyone was going to do it. And he was like, you know what? Things are bad on all of our borders. We need to <laughs> we need to raise the military. Right. We need to you know go to war with everyone else. And it was just a Ponzi scheme. Mm. So the Volkswagen Beetle funded the Nazi military empire. Wow. That is, that's really intense. I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, I totally lost my train of thought there. Okay, so basically the intellectuals, the the economists and the political philosophers in much of the rest of Western civilization at the time were praising all of these things that Hitler did. They, he was using the exact same economic model, but it was it was focused around the country, nationalism, if you will. Right. And I understand that's kind of a dirty word now, too, but from a purely intellectual point of view, in the strictest sense, that's what he was basing it on, was this idea of patriotism. You're doing it for, for Germany and for the German people, for the Volks, et cetera, et cetera. So that's how he drummed up all of this support for his movement, much in the same way that communism... Uh, drumming up support for communism is all based around, uh, you know, workers of the world unite, et cetera, et cetera. But let's take it a step down and look at its slightly less authoritarian cousin, 
socialism. Mm. So in the same way that you're talking about on a, from a nationalist perspective, well, we're doing it for the German people. In the same way, this is one of the ways that socialism becomes most appealing in the modern context is because people say, well, it'll help so many people or it'll help the poor. Don't you care about the poor? Well, if you don't want socialism, then you must not care about all of those people going without health care. You know, it's it's a quick it's a quick shot to to make you look like a bad person, you know, to attack your credibility. So for no other reason, you're going to be like, oh, well, well, I don't I don't hate the poor. I want to help them. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just let the government do it. But it's the exact same thing. There's no difference between the two. Yeah. So with what you're saying, I guess just break down what's the difference between a single nation state like, for instance, Obama-Cortez and her ilk Mm -hmm. are wanting to make the U.S. a socialist Mm -hmm. economy Mm -hmm. and government structure. Mm -hmm. How is that not nationalized? It is nationalized. Okay. Yeah. So it's not any different. No, it's, it's just not, not different racist. at all. Correct. So, which brings me back to my next point that I wanted to to address here. A lot of people talk about how, uh, well, specifically, socialist uh, advocates and actual communist sympathizers, tankies, will say that, well, yeah, the the national German workers, uh, crap, national socialist German workers party. Uh, words that was just a name you know they they used it because socialism was the cool thing at the time but they weren't actually socialist or they'll say well you know fascism or nazism is a right-wing ideology so this is something else that i want to dismiss just out of hand because of how ridiculous it is the notion that it's right wing yeah textbooks were were telling us when we were going through economics classes that that that's the case. I mean, it's, right. and then little did they know, you know, it's the whole, it bends. The horseshoe. The yeah. Uh, well, it, even if, even if a lot of people don't follow the horseshoe theory, the, the idea that it's a right wing ideology, there's no historical basis for it at all. So again, to put it into a modern context. So the modern left wants uh, Medicare for all. They want a large welfare state. They want gun control. They want, a nationalized economy. This uh, still sounds like Germany in and, the 30s. Oh, man, you're stealing my thunder here. <laughs> I'm sorry. And, and they're, they're obsessed with identity. Okay, and I want to make that point very clear as well. That's true. Absolutely obsessed with identity. You know, they've got this whole hierarchy of victimhood and, and all of that kind of thing. So let's look at 1930s Germany. Take it away, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> you know? They want... Gun control, yeah. Socialized healthcare, yeah. Uh, well, they had mandatory military service. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the, the difference, I suppose. If you could find one, that would be yeah. it. What's interesting? I wonder if healthcare is the new Volkswagen Beetle. That's a really that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that's that's going to be. We all need to just chip in and pay for it, and then oh wait, something came up that you guys didn't know about. We need right. to. Do this drastic. Got to shift our focus. Yeah. yeah, we'll see. That's that's a really interesting takeaway there. I hadn't thought of that. But if you if you go point by point, if you're checking the blocks between the modern left and uh, you know, I mean, really just the modern platform of the DNC and the Third Reich, it's just boop, 
Just same way all the way down. They had gun control. They had a massive welfare state. They had nationalized economy. Uh, They were socialists. They obviously obsessed with identity and not just against people that they didn't like. It wasn't just about, you know, getting rid of the Jews, the gypsies. Uh, They focused on homosexuals, the mentally mentally, uh, handicapped, all these different things. But then on the flip side of that, they also put certain people on a pedestal as well. You know, well, if you're blonde-haired, blue-eyed, you have this IQ, you can trace your family back X number of generations to show that you're of pure heritage, you know. Or just falsify your records. Or just falsify your records. Uh, (laughs) Which I would have to do because, you know. You are of, of, uh, you're a child of Abraham. But um, what's that church in California? Because... We both busted out laughing. The guy was like, oh, Jesus was a Palestinian Jew who's a person of color. Mm. And I was like, I am now a person of color. You are now color. a person of color. You are, you are higher up on the, the victimhood hierarchy than I am. So congratulations, That's Tom. absolutely ridiculous. Um, so, but yeah, so in the same way, they were obsessed with identity, both to pick out who to push to the side and who to, to prop up or, or put on a pedestal. Yeah. It's the exact same thing, which says something interesting. And and I don't know... It's so similar to... I don't know what, what kind of conclusions we could draw from this, but I think it's, it's... What's that? It's so similar that it might even say something about uh, humankind, you know, hmm. human nature. Like, why why do we draw these kinds of patterns? Yeah, you said before, we can't seem to break out of a certain kind of mold. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever it is. Given enough time, mm-hmm. resources, people, mm-hmm. we we keep going back to these same ideas. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, the whole, like, it's the current year right? from a macro level really doesn't matter because it's all the same. Right. I mean, it's, what goes around comes around and whatever other idiom happens to fit. Yeah. But even when you look at so abortion is another interesting thing that I, I actually haven't addressed before in these conversations. Well, we've both seen three hundred, right? I mean, they hold up well, the babies, and if they were imperfect, they threw them away. I mean, specifically with Nazi Germany. So if well, if too. your child uh, was was mentally ill or somehow had a defect, a birth defect, uh, you know, ju- yeah, just get rid of it. You know, it's a it's a burden on society, or especially if you were already someone that was you know, undesirable, quote unquote, mm-hmm. then obviously your your pregnancy will be terminated by force. You know, they they were big fans of that. They were big fans of using abortion as a form of of ethnic cleansing in the same way that is it Iceland? Yeah, it's modern Scandinavia mm-hmm. or Iceland where they've errat they said they eradicated downs. Which is a really weird errat- and I was like, oh wow, well, what did they how did that's an interesting word. Right. You know, how did... Oh. It's not polio. It's, it's, <laughs> like it's, it's abortion. Yeah. It's, you That's don't, how they, quote, eradicated right. Down syndrome. Which implies that it's not going to come up ever again. No, it's still going to come up. You just have to keep killing your babies that have it because you chose... You decided that that's a burden on society in the same way that the Nazis decided that... Uh, this was a burden on society, you know, to have these people, uh, the children of undesirables or whatever the case mm-hmm. may might have been. So it, it just really, it, it burns me up just thinking about that crap. Anyway. Okay. So we've, we've drawn all of these 
similarities or, I mean, really just straight copies between the modern left and Nazism. Let's talk about a lot of those same things that were happening in communist countries or socialist countries at the time. So in the modern context, you have countries like Scandinavia or Scandinavian countries right. where <laughs> countries like Scandinavia. Uh, What's a lot Yeah, that's going to be in the next uh, Bernie Sanders speech. <laughs> countries like Scandinavia. I mean, he might as well. He keeps using them as, as really bad examples. But anyway. Yeah. Please stop talking about us. You don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. You know, the Danish prime minister <laughs> comes out and says, Please, we don't practice a socialist economy or a democratic socialist economy or a market economy. Anyway. Yeah, because it was failing. Well, yeah, I mean, it was failing. And even at the time when it wasn't as obviously falling under or collapsing under its own weight, it was still technically a market economy. They just had stupidly high taxes. And now it's collapsing under its own weight. So, I mean, we went either way. But the point being... (laughs) Uh, you know, all of these countries that democratic socialists like to hold up as being the the prime example of these sorts of things practice a lot of the exact same things that the Nazis did, uh, in, abortion being a prime example. So really the only thing we can separate between the two is I don't think Sweden or Norway are setting up concentration camps. So that's one for them, I guess. But other than that, as far as your economic and your domestic policy, it's extremely similar. Yeah. And then when you look at communist countries, many of the same things. Obviously, the economic system is is very similar. You have gun control. You have abortion. You have these this sort of free... It, well, even in, in the USSR, after the Bolsheviks came to power and they start putting in all of these new policies, they... They said their goal was to create a new Soviet man and a new Soviet woman. You know, again, you have this sort of almost almost like you're well, rising how, above the normal human being. How homogeneous did they make their society? Because oh, they had well, civil wars. Oh, of course. And even even in the the cultural context. So the the whole idea of the Bolshevik Revolution was that we're, they're going to create a perfect system where everyone is equal and all of this sort of thing. Even, of course, at the time, women didn't have very many rights anywhere in the world. So that was one of the things that they pointed to as being revolutionary. Well, women have the right to divorce. Women have the right to vote. We're going to give women all of these things, ethnic minorities, all of these mm. things. But in practice, that didn't really happen, at least as widespread as they would have liked to uh, like people to have thought at the time. Uh, same way with ethnic uh, ethnic issues. So ethnic minorities in the USSR were absolutely looked down upon by the Russian, the ethnically Russian people. I figured they would be. So it was Russians, Slavs, and then non-Slavs. So it, you know, if you are ethnically, which is, which is ironic, because yeah. I guess during feudalism, Slav, um, you know, the the direct. I guess definition the the origin of that is where we get the word slave. Mm. I um, yeah, so they were the serfs. Mm-hmm. They were the people that propped up the Russian nobility, which is all those outlying countries. So of course they're going to still harbor resentment. But the fact that they're slightly elevated above other people is interesting. So I guess people who are more ethnically 
from like the Orient area, they didn't oh, yeah. fare as well. Is that, it, is that what you're saying? Or exactly. So if you were more in Eastern Russia, so if you're along the coast, you know, you've got a lot of Asiatic countries out there. So uh, you're going to have Asians, you know, whether you're ethnically Chinese or Japanese or, you know, mixed, whatever the case might have been. Well, you're not really one of us, mm. you know, or you're not you're not a real Russian, you know, kind of thing. Uh, yeah, but we're all comrades, right? Yeah, not really. So you've got the ethnic angle on that. At the same time, they're still splitting people up by uh, by income or by fiscal division, I suppose, for lack of a better term. So after the revolu- revolution first popped off and the Bolsheviks won, they put all of this new government in place. They're pushing it forward. And we've talked before about how they actually used capitalism to get their economy back on its feet and and fully industrialized. Mm-hmm. So at the time, they needed the middle class or the middle upper class. Uh, they called them, uh, man, I lost it. We'll anyway, <laughs> so, so they, they had a, a specific... And you're drinking coffee. And I'm drinking coffee, man. <laughs> they, they had a word for it. Uh, not the kulaks. Uh, anyway, you're so, saying they're the middle class group, right? Okay. So th- this was the 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 bourgeois, you know, folks that we were supposed to overthrow. But now we need them. We need we need them to stick around for a little while. Uh, but they're going to get theirs. Don't you worry. You want to know something that just popped into my head? What's that? So bourgeois people at that time, mm. what what was their uh, perceived wealth? What did they have? More what than the what amenities did they have? <laughs> More than More the than serfs. Serf, right. Compare that to today. Mm. What the average American, what do they have related to those people? Is it better? Oh. Is it the same? Massively. Well, I mean, you, you got to look at, in terms of international standard of living, Americans, the poorest American is in the top 1% in the world as far as standard of living is concerned. Why are they trying to adopt... Because it's greed. It all comes down to greed. It's envy, man. It's the exact same thing that they would accuse, you know, uh, the 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 one-tenth of one percent. You know, oh, yeah, those guys are just greedy bastards. You know, they're hoarding wealth. Well, first of all, that's not how wealth works. But at the same time, they just want something that they don't have. They're not concerned with what they do have. They just see something else that they want. And if they can have somebody else take it and give it to them, then they're going to back that person or they're going to back that that movement or whatever. But so the okay. the Bolsheviks split up uh, the the country. They they divided the country by your level of wealth as well or your standard of living. So when it came time, they re- they figured, well, we've got an industrialized economy now. Now's the time. Now we need to institute actual like pure Marxist-Leninism. So that's when they said, okay, yeah, all of you poor guys, go into that big house, uh, drag the the middle-class people out in the street and shoot them, mm. and then just take all their crap if you want to squat in there for a while. You can do whatever you want. And that was their way of sort of placating the, the poor that had originally backed their play during the revolution. So now they're like, okay, we're going to let you off the leash, get your bloodlust on, you know, and uh, you're but you're doing it all for the revolution, so it's cool, you know. So again, you have this parallel between 
dividing people based on based on what you know whether it's ethnicity or it's how much money you make or how successful you are it all comes down to division and again this is something that runs parallel between socialists and communists nazis and the modern left just across the board so again why is it that it's culturally acceptable to talk about communism or or even socialism but not nazism and your point earlier was it's purely based on widespread racism or not right if you if that is part of your charter or not mm-hmm. so wait a second does that mean that hezbollah if they were socialists, would be Nazis. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to be intelli- if we're going to be ideologically consistent here, you know, if we're going to say, well, this is the standard, this is what makes you a Nazi, you know, then we would have to be like, yeah, those guys are basically Nazis, and they would actually be basically Nazis, <laughs> which is hilarious. I hadn't thought of that before. So yeah, the racial component is really the only thing that separates them. Wow. But because that racial component isn't there, it's just, oh, it's a totally different system. Not even close. No, that's right wing and this is left wing. Okay, so let's say, let's assume that these people are right and they're on totally opposite ends of the political spectrum. Whether it's in a straight line or a horseshoe or whatever, let's just say... (laughs) It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Let's say they're on either end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Now, in terms of authoritarianism versus libertarianism, they are both 100% totalitarian models. That cannot be argued. So why, why even put it on the right? Is it just another case of history is written by the victor? More or less. I think, I think it's, this is one of those things where like what uh, Alinsky, Saul Alinsky talks about rules for radicals. Right. Well, if you repeat something over and over again, eventually it just becomes accepted fact. So I think in a lot of ways, I mean, it, there is even the, uh, the Molotov-Ribbentrop pact uh, between the Soviet Union and the Nazis. You know, they, they, sorry, to explain that. So before Germany invaded Poland in 1939. I do know this. Yeah, well, (laughs) so before Germany invaded Poland in 1939, the uh, Russians or the the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany actually had a non-aggression treaty between the two of them saying that there would be trade and cultural exchanges. And in addition to that, oh, by the way, we're going to carve up Poland between the two of us. So when Germany invaded on September 1st, first 1939 from the west the russians came in from the east and they carved up poland like a turkey but we don't talk about that in history class because the russians were on our side later later yeah so i think well from what i understand the only reason they did that is because there's maybe one nation before that that has survived uh, a military campaign of a war on two fronts. Mm. I think it was Alexander. Yeah. Out of Macedonia. I think right. that was it. Yeah. Well, basically, I think the way that both leaders saw it, Stalin and Hitler, 
they both said, well, one of us is going to conquer all of Europe. It's just a question of which. So I think they were both eyeballing each other like, okay, once we're done with all the other countries, the two biggest kids on the block are going to fight. Yeah. Uh, but that was, that was the start of them conquering uh, the rest of Europe. You know, and, so, I, and I think Germany was starved for oil at one point because yes. of uh, U.S.-U.K. coalition forces right. blowing stuff up. Well, that and we were also... Yeah, that's when you get into a little... Cut bit. off a bunch of supply lines and yeah. so changed hands a lot. America, America basically placed an embargo on Japan and Germany because of that, because we were allied with Britain. And... Um, so no, I'm <laughs> just straight out of the bottle, take it to the end. Um, so yeah, that was part of it. That's that's actually one of the reasons why Japan attacked us at Pearl Harbor is because we were holding back on aluminum, rubber, oil, all of these things that they needed to feed their war machine. So they said, okay, well, let's just attack America so we have an excuse to go ahead and take all of their supplies uh, across you know the edges of their empire of the Japanese empire. Um, yeah. So yeah, that is part of it. And then Germany ended up invading into uh, North Africa and the Middle East to get to see some of those oil fields. Oh yeah, they're rich definitely at that time. Something I think is interesting is after that, you know, in relation to uh, Japan and Germany, so the biggest thing economically that I see out of that is how expensive a standing army is. Oh yeah, because neither of those nations were allowed to have a military. And mm -hmm. so they said, okay, then we will invest everything into technology and industry, mm -hmm. and we'll see you on the other side. Yeah. And Germany's the wealthiest nation in Europe. It's partially because of uh, just their view of work mm -hmm. and efficiency, my goodness. And Japan is the same way, actually. You know, with yeah. the Toyota... Uh, innovation system like thinking is where we get like Six Sigma mm. uh, came from you know Kaizen like every day a little bit of improvement mm. which I'm going off on a tangent here but well I mean both both civilizations are known for being almost obsessed with efficiency yeah and, and a heavy work ethic uh, so I mean yeah I think you're I think you're onto something there so I, and of course both of them are, are strategically placed in the world for trade and things like that. You know, I mean, you're dead center in yeah, Europe. That's Everybody's true. got to go through you. So, I mean, there, and you've got an awesome trade route in the ocean. Right, exactly. Which just shows how freaking amazing America is anyway. Because oh, yeah. Because we had to protect both of those groups for years and decades, and we're still the number one economic power. Still until... Not too long ago. We're not as economically free. But gee, I wonder why that is. Um. Because of communists. <laughs> which is why... So I want to pull on a string that, that we, we touched on here a little bit. The This whole thing... Well, Russia was our ally, so we don't talk about a lot of the bad things that they did. It kind of just got swept under the rug of history, right? Because they were, they were allies of convenience, but they were our allies. And especially because of how touchy Stalin was. Uh, there was... You know, if you look at the details of the Yalta conference or several other conferences where the big three, you know, Churchill, FDR and Stalin would meet, you know, Stalin was very, very touchy. And especially because him and Churchill did not get along. FDR was kind of the go between there. 
Uh, and there's some interesting the irony is not lost on me indeed Um, anyway so they kind of get swept under the rug so I think that's part a very small part of the reason why it's it's socially acceptable to espouse socialist or communist ideas even if you're drawing from just horrible examples like the USSR or Cuba or you know all of these places that that Soviet Russia has touched, you know, and the same traditions that they had of torture, of genocide, of, you know, secret police and all these other horrible things, the the legacy of it. I'm just thinking of Afghanistan. Oh, sure. Right now, like. (sighs) This is going to be another. Well, it is, you know, like British and Russian imperialism. Is right. the whole reason that jihad even exists that blew my mind yeah when i figured that out oh for sure um but just what they did to the middle east you know russia england they're not neither of them are immune to criticism they did terrible things right and it was you know what the brotherhood of steel would would <laughs> definitely object to. we're going we're gonna so do many that. different directions we're gonna do that episode eventually. no that's that's going to happen but, um but yeah you know just raping the land and taking the natural resources and, and the innovation, the technology and just taking it home. And it's very much a pirate mentality. Well, yeah, I mean, you're either way, one way or another, you're putting your foot on somebody else's neck and nobody likes that. But today we see all of these, I mean, we've got professors that are teaching economics for, for Pete's sake. And mm-hmm. they're saying that socialism is a viable economic system. You know, so I think that totally de- depends on uh, whatever you mean by viable. Well, yeah, and it, it it ultimately comes down to values, doesn't it? You know, it what what is what is my value system built around? So for us, it would be built around the idea that uh, the individual has ultimate sovereignty over themselves, mm-hmm. so they can decide what is best for themselves, how best they spend their own money, etc., etc., etc. And that's most important to us. Now, as a secondary, we do want a a system to run efficiently. And if more people are helped as a result of that, then that's wonderful. And it just so happens that in a free market capitalist system, all of those things are held into account and all of those things uh, work to the benefit of everyone. Yeah. And then on the flip side, of course, you have socialism and communism, which espouse those same things minus the sovereignty of the individual. Well, everyone is going to get this and everyone's going to have, uh, you know, free health care and education and all of these things, but then none of it actually pans out. Yeah. Which is when we get back to what we talked about before with Sowell, you know, Thomas Sowell right. says that it doesn't matter what your intentions are. The ultimate outcome is what really matters. Now stop me if I've already mentioned this, but I talked yeah. to, uh, maybe I did before, uh, talked about going to Greece and talking to people that had free college I don't think we've talked about it on the show. We've talked about it off air. Okay. Um, so, oh, when was this? 2012, 2011. I went to Greece and Athens specifically and talked to the people in the university there. And I said, you know, well, what are you studying? And they had free college. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, it was for however long you wanted to study. Okay. Wow. So, um, and take note of the date that I said because, you know, not too long, they're bankrupt. But anyways. Um, <laughs> Several times. 
It's just amazing, the policy. Anyways, That's amazing. Uh, uh, I said, what are you studying and why and what are you going to do? And it came down to, you know, whatever they wanted. And they'd change majors just as often as people in the States. Um, so, you know, that didn't help anything mm-hmm. uh, if that was one of their, their goals. But it was, okay, what are you going to do? You know, next semester's coming up. Uh, are you going to change again? Are you going to stay the course? No, I think we're going to rent a sailboat. Um, you know, probably go down to Cyprus and, and Crete and just different islands in the Mediterranean and probably drink a lot of wine. You know, there's like a, a third cousin uncle once removed that, you know, has a place down there. So I think we're going to take the whole semester and do that. <laughs> okay. And it's like, okay. So, but, but then you're going to, well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. So it that really stupid video where they like film the different spiders and like say that they're giving them different drugs. Yeah. You don't work. Right. If everything's handed to you, it's like Dennis Prager, what he was saying on his video. It's like if you create a dependent society where all they know is to um, verbally berate their enemies and mm-hmm. then hold their hand out for the next big thing. They're not going to work. Right. You've socially and mentally conditioned them mm-hmm. to just have their hand out and expect the next thing. And the same is true of Greece. Like I, you've got generation after generation. I don't know how long that policy was, but they're now conditioned to say, well, we're going to get free school and healthcare and, you know, we will root for our soccer team and, mm-hmm. and we'll drink and, you know, we'll work maybe a little bit, but well, t- so take that a logical step further then. So it's maybe it's not just creating dependency to create dependency. Maybe it's actually if you perform a certain way, you will be rewarded, but also keeping them dependent. So let, let me flesh this out a little bit. Well, that didn't I'm, work out too well in Russia. Well, it, it, it hasn't worked out anywhere, which is kind of the whole point. But let's say, for example, you're already dependent on the system. Okay, so they already have control of you. Let's say you're you're like a um, uh, was it monkeys where it was like um, if they did a certain thing, then it would shock yeah, everybody, or if they uh, did a certain thing, they would all be rewarded. Uh, I think that was right, except they were given morphine. Unless that was a different study. Uh, well, yeah, we're all we're mixing all of our analogies here yeah. at this point. Okay, so there was I'm pretty sure it was like racist monkeys where if Rhesus. Rhesus. You almost said racist. Racist. Uh, Rhesus. <laughs> I've, I've been drinking coffee and this just is not working it's well. It's like Rhesus monkeys. Rhesus. I need to get back yeah. to, to the scotch instead, apparently. Yeah. Or so, crack the biology book. Or crack <laughs> the biology book. book. Uh, so <laughs> the Rhesus monkeys, and if one of them did a certain action, then they would be shocked. And so if eventually after a certain number of times they were conditioned and so when this monkey when one monkey started to do this thing all the rest of them would beat the crap out of him mm. so soap and socks though. oh yeah just yeah uh, brutal yeah so using that as an analogy what if you've created dependence so you put them all in a cage if you will okay and they're all living together you feed them you give them water whatever and then as soon as one of them steps out of line and does something that you don't like, the rest of them know that they're not going to get whatever they're now dependent on. 
And so they beat the crap out of that one monkey because he stepped out of line. He's, he's doing something that, you know, the, uh, the scientists or whoever's got the, the strings, you know, doesn't like. And the so we've got to stop him from doing that. The vault tech employee. So in the same way, why can't you do that with an entire country? Oh, I could definitely see that being a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. So look at, uh, what was that book we read in high school? Uh, Enemy of the State. You, you know what I'm talking about? Basically, the, the guy, so the dude in the village is blamed for something that he didn't do. I mean, this is in all kinds of stories, not just that one specifically. Mm-hmm. But so the, the people that are framing him, uh, the village leadership say, yes, we have declared this person to be an enemy of the state. Yeah. And even though the rest of the villagers don't know the details of it, he hasn't been uh, put on trial, nothing like that. They kind of get this mob mentality, and oh, he's an enemy of the state. That means he's an enemy of us. Yeah. You know, we've got to we've got to take this guy out, and they end up lynching him. Well, I see two different stories that go along with that, even if it's not the same one. Sure, Scarlet Letter. Yes, and also the Crucible. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I think this one was based in Scandinavia, coincidentally, okay. but yeah, the same the same principle. It's along yeah. the same lines. So if it's let's say the government decides that you're an enemy of the state and because everyone else has been dancing to their tune like rats behind the Pied Piper, you know, they just go along with it. Oh yeah. Screw that guy. He's an enemy of the state. Mm. And then you have no one in your corner. So dangerous about just throwing terms out there. Right. One actually know what it means. And then two, use it when appropriate. And Mm. that's something uh, a friend of ours, their dad, got on to us years ago we were really young but it was like he kept telling us quit saying things are awesome Mm. because not everything can be awesome right um and at the time i was like the the lego movie stop telling me what to say everything is awesome right which by definition then everything's the same right nothing nothing's awesome. awesome which like i said at the time i was like man don't tell me what to say but you know i still I say what I want is essentially where I'm going with that. But, that, but the idea is in planted in, the, in in my head to yeah. say, you know, like appreciate things that are great. Yeah. And and call it what it is. But well, we're, we're actually have know power. what you're talking about. Yeah, words have power is, is the, the point here. You know, so if you're just throwing terms around, A, they're eventually not going to mean anything at all. But in the meantime, before you get to that point, B, that can be something that can you know sticks and stones and all that Mm. but if you whip people up into a frenzy because you use hyperbolic language you know that can become very dangerous so you're you haven't said it yet but people being word police and just throwing blanket terms out there lazy arguments of course you're kind of saying that this is the beginning of that rhesus monkey study yeah uh, the self-fulfilling prof- prophecy to say that you're going to need to fight people who are your enemy of the state. Right. Because, you know, things are going to be taken away. It's yep. not going to be good for you. Well, and they're already laying the groundwork for that, I guess, is my point here. So they're apologizing, excuse me, not apologizing. <laughs> they're They're holding up systems that are created specifically to create dependence mm-hmm. between the government and the people socialism communism whatever it's already seen as socially acceptable we have politicians that 
are openly using this as part of their platform. They're calling themselves democratic socialists. It's the same thing. Yeah. So it's already, that's the first step. So let's introduce this system that creates dependence. Then from there, let's actually create that dependence. Let's put that system into practice. Then from there, you can just start pointing and naming people enemy of the state. And you don't even have to say, well, he's a Nazi or he's a racist or whatever. You can just say, he doesn't like the system that's in place, i.e., he wants to take food out of your mouths, or he wants to take your health care, or he doesn't think you deserve free education. And now the government doesn't even need to do anything. Society will do it for them. How are we doing on time? Because there's another thing that popped up in my head. Uh, we've got about 15, 20 minutes. Okay. So I've been following the Florida governor race. Uh-huh. Um, there's a, a black gentleman, I think it's Andrew Gillum. Yes. Um, he could be the first, um, I guess, black male socialist governor of Florida, mm. uh, to be elected. Mm. Hasn't won yet, but of course, you know, groups online are saying that he's already won, which is so ridiculous. But anyways, um. Well, yeah, I mean, everybody said Hillary was going to win. It's like 95, <laughs> 94%. Yeah. Anyway, continue. I didn't realize the way that they view uh, money Mm. in relation to Washington. Um, I was listening to a podcast from The Breakfast Club, which is, uh, it's an all-black hosted uh, morning radio show. Mm. And they were talking to him, and and one of the lines is so ridiculous. I don't want to play identity politics but you'll be the first black governor of Florida. That's a big deal. It's like, you don't want to, but you just did. Anyways, um, his, some of his points were the, the things I didn't realize. What he was saying is there's a lot of money that we missed out on from the federal government as a state. Oh, gosh. So, and I, I had no idea that this is how they view everything. Yeah, of course. Basically... All of our taxes go into a pot in Washington. And we discussed that this is the exact same that happened in ancient Rome. Yeah. But there are certain credits that a state can do mm. to earn money from the Fed mm. to support their initiatives. Right. Had no idea that that's the way that they view everything should be funded to a state. Yes. Dude, the lag time on that, the gross inefficiency. Oh, absolutely. It's disgusting. The, 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 I'm not done yet. Okay. The, the amount of dollars that can be lost in transition. Yes. What's, what's interesting about that to me is um, I kept saying, yeah, this is money that, you know, they can't have. You know, they blah, blah, blah. How about they should never have it in the first place? Right, exactly. But that's a foregone conclusion for them. I know. It that's blew me it. away. And that's what's insane. It's ridiculous. So, and, and that's another interesting point, though. Not that we have time to delve too deeply into no, this. But, but I had no, but I no idea. This whole, this whole blurring of lines between the federal and the state government. You know, so obviously in, in the Constitution, particularly in, in the Tenth Amendment that we talked about on the last episode, yeah. there's supposed to be a very, very clear and wide division between the federal and the state government. But this is one of the ways that they figured out how to work around it. So let's collect federal income taxes. We're, we're going to take all of this money from the people, and they can't say crap about it. Right. So we're going to take all of that from them, 
and then we'll just we'll sprinkle it across all of the states depending on what they need. You know, that's state not, grants, block that's grants. Not what it is. It's not what they. That's your point too. Right. It's not what they need. Right. It's it's exactly what happened in in Russia. How close are you in a relationship status to the higher ups in Washington? That directly relates to what you're going to make yes. as a Soviet bloc, as a Soviet group. Yes. It's the exact same. How much? How much can you do for me? And I'll do something for you. It, that's how. That's just the way the world works. But we. But that's not an excuse for that being the way our government operates. So we need to have accountability as individuals. On excuse me, the government needs to have accountability uh, because we are holding them accountable. Yeah. So we need to we need to call BS on that kind of stuff. So exactly like you did when you were listening to that podcast, you were like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. You know, why isn't everyone thinking that way? Because we're already puppets dancing on the strings. Oh, that's this just how it is. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's worked it's this no, way for so long. Nothing we can do about it. And then that slowly morphs into, well, that's just that's just how it is, like you said, or that's just how it needs to be. I've had people tell me that, well, we need a little bit of socialism. We're we're edging into that kind of territory now. And obviously, some states are, are, you know, moving towards it a lot quicker than others, like California or a lot of northeastern states. You know, it's we've it's already insane. talked about this, but the whole reason Florida's a big deal is because they think that swing states are historically the only ones that are ever going to go one or the other, mm. and that there's going to be no difference of voting record of states that are historically right or left of the aisle mm. they change that's the whole point well i mean look at the 2016 election yes. you had all of these states that that were traditionally uh blue and they turned red you know i mean but they want to boil it down into the simplest terms possible especially wipe out the electoral college especially for straight democracy let's all vote for free college four year let's all have a bachelor's and the thing that i've said before if we all have a bachelor's then it doesn't matter. If everything's awesome, then nothing's Nothing awesome. Nothing is awesome. Nothing is awesome. So now we all have a bachelor's. Mm -hmm. We all have Medicare for all, healthcare. Mm -hmm. So that means that uh, historically, as we've seen in Canada and, and even in the, the States and, and the UK, people will go to the hospital for reasons why they shouldn't even go to the freaking hospital. Mm -hmm. You've got a head cold, drink some water, take some Advil, simmer down. Right. Reduce your stress and eat better. Okay, people are, are spending the insurance money. It's not insurance anymore. It's, it's taxes. Mm -hmm. So now quality of health care goes in the crapper. Mm -hmm. um, let's see what else is garbage. Um, Social Security mm -hmm. will be completely drained because they're well, going to reallocate right it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you want to know why? Because President Clinton dipped into Social Security to balance the budget to reduce yep. the deficit yep. which just meant not incurring more debt correct it didn't then, help anything well let's just raise the debt ceiling dude it's not a big deal it's just numbers anyway well MMT MMT you know. <laughs> magical money magical money theory uh, I have not read or seen that That's oh that was, I think we floated that meme on the page it was like a unicorn no it's sarcasm and liberty oh yeah there's a unicorn and I think Bernie Sanders has the flag or 
Wow. There's another one with uh, Obama Cortez, and she's like holding a sign. Why do politicians have pictures where they're holding signs on social media now? Because you know somebody's just going to white it out and then put whatever they want on there. It's oh, just not course. smart. Anyway, yeah. Trump so, with the all of this is a snack. Gosh, I mean, it's so funny though. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad they do it, but just from a PR perspective, it's probably not super smart. But yes, the sarcasm in Liberty had Obama Cortez with uh, a unicorn, and it said "magic money theory," magical money theory. Anyway, it's all just—it's it's all just cloth. <laughs> it's all just paper cloth money, dude. right? Yeah, it's, it's not it's real. Ones anyway. and zeros it's just too. Uh, anyway, so let's let's wrap this up. Let's bring it all <laughs> I'm in. Sorry. So overall, it's just so freaking frustrating. Oh, of course it's frustrating. And that's why, again, like almost every call to action we have across the wide array of all of our programs is just get involved. Just just become more informed, you know, and then from the information that you gather, make informed decisions, form informed opinions and then act on them. Instead of just saying, well, this is just how it is or it's always been this way or I can't do anything about it. Yes, you can. But it's you a have secret to ballot for a reason. Right. Or who cares if it's secret or not, man? I mean, I get it. A lot of people are professionals. No, I'm certain. saying when you come to the 99-yard line and you're about to score the touchdown on voting day, no one knows what you did. Oh, sure. But it's going to take more saying. than that, though. We're, we're, we're too well, far. You, you need, yeah, you need to inform and, and have discussions with other people. Yeah. Well, just activism in general. I mean, it, even if you can't get your face out there, if all you can do is vote, then absolutely vote. Yeah. But if you can afford to do more, then you have to do more. It's not enough to just say, well, somebody else will take care of it. We can't do that anymore. We're way too far gone. So we need to start rolling that back, but we can only do it by people getting involved. So we talked about Nazism and socialism and communism and the modern left and how they're really all the same except for that racial component and even that could be argued with the whole let's not let's not say that it's uh, oppressing certain groups based on race let's say instead that they're all obsessed with identity in one form or another I think that's a fair assessment across the board so even then just checking those boxes all the way down the line but for some reason, and I, I can't personally nail it down, much less in this show, for some reason, socialism and communism is still socially acceptable. It's, it's, it's okay to openly say that you're a socialist or you're a communist without somebody saying, yeah, you're probably just economically illiterate. You know? And more to the point, you've got politicians that espouse these views that, that have huge followings behind them. So... It's still not okay to be a socialist or a communist is what I'm getting at here. And we're just both immensely frustrated at this point. Yeah. Um, well, I'm not even going to go into it. But the overarching theme of what I was going to go into mm. is it's very easy to listen to the new fad uh, whether it be a Brown University study about gender, which I'm not going to go into. <laughs> Another time. Or uh, democratic socialism or Medicare for all. Mm. It's real easy to just hear the next thing that you're supposed to be passionate about and feign passion, 
vain intelligence and diminish ideas of which you you don't even know your own ideas but you know when you hear whatever the opposition is in their their standpoint just shoot them down just do whatever it takes you know have a consistent message of negativity i don't think any of them are happy i don't oh, think for sure uh, what do they want to do stop everybody else from whatever it is they're doing and and then we're all on the same side and then what now we're all miserable I mean, are there, are there wars inside religious communities, regardless of race and ethnicity? Yes, there are. Mm. Well, why? They're all supposed to conform to the same thing. Anyway. That's a tangent, still, but I see where you're going They still with. don't get along, and nothing's hunky-dory. Right. There's no, there's no utopia. There's no perfect system. It's just a question of how close we can get to being perfect. Perfect. So if... Then you get into the metric of it. So what, how do you measure what is perfect or what is good? So, in an uh, according to sense, them, it's it's the majority, which is staggering. Right. So, well, not necessarily. I mean, if you look at something like, like Marxism, so everyone is equal. Everyone has all of these things that they need to live. The standard of living is high. This very utopian fantasy. So we we can already take that off the table because we've said we've established that perfection is not going to happen. But if your metric is that everyone has all of these things and everyone is living a good life and we're, we're moving forward and progressing and, and bettering the standard of living. Mm-hmm. The closest we have ever gotten to having that across the board and universal is through free market capitalism. Yeah, I was going to say, if you don't say that. Period dot. That is a statistical fact. Right. So, but we still have these people that, that want to reach for this utopian idea regardless of how many times it's failed. Well, let's give them the freedom to do that somewhere. On their own. Yeah. Apart from us. Right. But it doesn't work without force. And that's where we we come into play here. So, just for the sheer fact that we can't end this episode on a down note, I want to encourage everybody out there that's watching us to, as Tom said, go talk to people, have these conversations, challenge their ideas, you know, don't don't be a dick. You know, don't be negative just for the sake of being negative, but question everything. So if they say, yeah, I think so, I think democratic socialism is great. Why? Why do you think that's great? What is your empirical evidence for it? What can you show me statistics where this has been successful over the long run? What is your metric for success? Question, 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 challenge, challenge, challenge. And maybe a handful of times you'll change that person's mind or you will at least make them question their own ideas or their own ideology. And through that kind of action, we can roll back this tide of authoritarianism, this this, uh, wave of popularity behind authoritarian, uh, totalitarian systems like socialism, like communism, in all of its different forms, because it always comes down to the same thing. It comes down to authoritarianism. It comes down to collectivism. It always requires force. So before we need to respond with force, let's respond with countering ideas. Let's respond with statistical evidence, with empirical evidence, with historical evidence. Let's show them why they are wrong and turn that tide, turn it the other way. you have any closing comments, Tom? Yeah, feelings are not uh, a good measuring stick for why you should make decisions. It might feel good to... uh, have a little white lie um, or to freebase cocaine or have that next drink if you're an addict. 
feelings, it's not a good measurement of a good decision. So take a step back. There's definitely wisdom in many counselors. Uh, We're two people. Um, There's also historical and uh, scientific evidence. um, And definitely some people want to retract their studies. And I'm sorry, I I said I wasn't going to get into that. (laughs) We'll talk off air and maybe do it on another episode. But uh, do something. Do something great. Because we, we, we both believe in you and, and we believe in this country and what we can accomplish. Mm-hmm. But we have to become active in order to get there. That's true. So become informed, become active. I think that's the gist of, uh, of this episode. So counter, counter the uh, Red Revolution, Better Dead Than Red. Um, I guess that's it, man. So check out uh, the rest of our content on think-liberty.com. Uh, of course, we're on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Gab, we, what's me, we, we're, we're across all the social media platforms, wherever your preference is. We've got our podcasts across Spotify, iTunes. Um, what was the new, we just added a new program that basically puts our, I think it's Spreaker. Spreaker, yeah. yeah. It it's uploads everything. everything out. So we're on YouTube now, obviously, not just our videos, but all of the podcasts are also on YouTube. So if you're watching us on the Think Liberty channel, You can also check out all of the audio-only podcasts through YouTube as well. Uh, As I said, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, all the rest of them. And, uh, of course, we'll be continuing to make videos on here. And uh, shoot, man. I guess just continue tuning in to become more liberty-centered with us.